Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of The Cooking Show. Hey, I gotta be honest with you. Oh, it's a little late. I am full of very rich, decadent comfort food, and I'm gonna be sucking on some coffee here to get through the next couple of hours to get this episode up and ready for your listening pleasure. If you've listened to, I don't know, more than like three episodes, uh, number one, thank you. <laughs> number two, um, you probably know that I have like this affinity for or an aptitude for or like a, an attraction to slow cooked comfort foods. Now, maybe, maybe that's due to my my Appalachian background, you know, soft, easy to chew, you know, braised meats and stewed vegetables, that kind of thing. But to me, it's just like a, it's like a warm hug on a cold, windy day. It feels safe and secure and delicious and comforting and whatever. I mean, it's all the things. You know what I'm talking about. But today, uh, or tonight, made one of my favorite comfort foods ever, and it's asabuco, okay? Asabuco with risotto, holy moly, it's delicious. It's fantastic, it's easy, and it just, it, it squeezes every ounce of flavor out of every ingredient, and it really makes it uh, something that is greater than the sum of its parts, so to speak. You know what I mean? Uh, contrast this to last week with the with the uh, Beef Wellington, where I said, hey, you know what? Beef Wellington is exactly equal to the sum of its parts. You know, it is a, I don't even, I, I was going to say differential equation, but then I realized that even though I'm like naturally kind of good at math, I don't remember what anything's called. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's basically you have your list of ingredients on one side of the equal sign, and then you have Beef Wellington on the other side of the equal sign, and they are equal you know, the Beef Wellington is equal to the sum of its parts, whereas some dishes, case in point, Asabuco, is greater than the sum of its parts. Now, why, 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 why? Um, main reason is that we're using uh, a relatively cheap and difficult, I would say tough, but then that's a double entendre between difficult and uh Effort required for mastication. You know, it's tough meat. It, 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 it so it uses cuts of meat that are difficult to make palatable. But if you can, if you can crack that shell, if you can unlock the secret, you can draw out of it lots of wonderful flavor that is going to intermingle with a lot of other ingredients in like a sauce and in the in the risotto and all this kind of stuff to really take every every component up to, up another level let's see if we catch this all right theoretically uh audio hijack should be suppressing the sound of our water pump going because i didn't expect it to come on but you know hey, well, things happen Anyway, what was I talking about here? Oh, uh, so Asabuco. We're using very high quality, but relatively low value cuts of meat. You know, if on one side of the spectrum, you have uh, beef tenderloin or filet mignon, right? On the other side, you have, I don't know, awful, like kidneys and hearts and 
spleens or whatever. Somewhere closer to the left side of that spectrum than the right side is going to be your shank beat. You know, your cross-cut forearms and shins of animals. You know, sheep, goats, cows, deer. Mm, I guess elk is a type of deer. Moose is a type of deer. Uh, you can use pig shanks, whatever. But anyway, um, you're using these uh, cross-cut shanks of uh, either domesticated animals or game animals. And you're going to braise these in a very flavorful but relatively simple uh, tomato-based sauce. And that's going to uh, break down the connective tissue and make them very like fork tender. And it's going to melt out all of the, the bone marrow and, and, and break down the connective tissue and the, the fascia and the, uh, what's it called, uh, tendons and ligaments and all that kind of stuff. It's going to fortify the sauce with flavor and texture and all this kind of stuff. It's going to be fantastic. Additionally, the, the sauce itself is super simple. Uh, you know, onions, carrot, celery, uh, mushrooms, some white wine, white wine, white wine in the recipe, red wine paired at dinner. Um, let's see what else, uh, some chicken stock, tomatoes, uh, oregano, thyme, uh, some lemon, parsley, garlic, all that good stuff. Salt, pepper, you know, the normal things. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode. See the actual recipe as well as the, the process and everything. And the imager album, the step-by-step, the photographs is just such a beautiful bowl of uh, warm, love, nutrition, uh, it's fantastic. It's, it, it, there's a reason why this food is is so meaningful to me. One is that you know uh, a lot of love goes into it, a lot of effort and time to get everything prepped. It's usually it takes a couple hours to cook, but then it also sort of it stains your entire environment with uh, a foreshadowing of what's to come. You know, like we, I got this started today in the afternoon and then we went out to pick apples and do some things around the homestead. And when we came back and we walked in the house and was like, Oh my God, that smells so good. You know? And that's the kind of, that's, it's that feeling that you can carry through from preparation to actually eating and packing up the leftovers and all that kind of stuff. So let's get in to the business of business, which is making Asabuco, because it is today is September 25th. Holy cow, it is the end of September. And the weather broke earlier in the week to the point where it got like, it was like in the morning. Everybody remarks, oh boy, it's chilly. <laughs> it's cold out here. It's brisk. You know, and today was no uh no deviation from that from that norm. It was uh it was windy, it was rainy, it was cool, it was cold at times, and it's just going to continue doing so over the next uh, week or so. So, you know, any excuse to uh, make a meal that feels like a, you know, a, a, a grandma's quilt <laughs> wrapped around you is, uh, is, fan is fantastic. It's definitely welcome. All right, so I'm not going to continue to try to paint a picture with these stupid words about how delicious comfort food is. I mean, everybody knows, you know, you make your pot roast, you make your Sunday gravy, throw this arrow into your quiver and pull it out whenever you have a little bit of time. Uh, r realistically, though, 
the preparation of Asabuco is not that bad. It's like, you know, I maybe spent 15, 20 minutes early on, and then it kind of cooks passively for a couple of hours, and then you just plate it. Now, you could do like mashed potatoes or rice or, um, I don't know, some other kind of soft, creamy, absorbent, starchy uh, side with this. I did go with, um, uh, was it risotto? because that makes this specifically Asabuco Milanese uh, when you have the risotto. Plus, risotto is just so good. Uh, but the risotto is a little bit of uh, time and labor intensive. Like it takes, I don't know, half hour or so. <laughs> half hour, an hour, or whatever. I don't know. It takes time and you're engaged with it the whole time that you're making risotto. So you could do something simpler and really like cut down on the number of hours that you have into this dish um, while all also reaping the dividends of a slow-cooked multi-hour preparation okay so let's talk about the ingredients here um you know you could use anywhere from two to four cross-cut shanks now for the purpose of you know the photographs for this podcast i used one beef uh, Asabuco uh, cut shank, and I use one lamb lamb shank. And then for my wife, I I, I prepared her a nice uh, grilled uh, flat iron steak because she's not a huge fan of the braised meats. It's a little heavy for her. But um, my son had uh, a beef shank. I had a lamb shank. It was wonderful. Um, you could definitely use. Um, goat, uh, pork, even if you wanted to, uh, wild game, venison, elk, moose, any of these would be fantastic. Um, as far as the cooking time is concerned, when you're using a domesticated animal, you can reduce the cooking time down to like, I don't know, two to three hours. And if you're using a wild game animal, maybe go for like three to four hours, like a little extra time for a venison shank or an elk shank. But if you're using a domesticated lamb or, um, you know, a crosscut section of a beef arm, you can, you can definitely do it in two to three hours, but you just want to have enough breezing time in there to break everything down. And, uh, honestly, I mean, at some point there is too much time. Like if you start this and let it simmer for, I don't know, three days, it's might not be quite as good, <laughs> but, uh, inside of one day, you know, three hours is probably going to be sufficient for, uh, anything that you're going to throw into that pot. Okay. So we're going to use those shanks, a little bit of salt and pepper, obviously to taste, uh, yeah, uh, a little bit of flour. I mean, probably like a quarter cup is enough. I just put a bunch of flour in a bowl. Um, this is for dredging the uh, shanks before you brown them and everything, but you don't need a lot. A uh, quarter cup of olive oil, um, an onion. I use two onions. I use three carrots, four stalks of celery. Uh, I don't know, roughly eight ounces of mushrooms. You could definitely use like dried mushrooms, porcini or shiitake. Uh, mayataki, whatever, um, lion's mane, oyster, you know, lots, lots of different mushrooms. If you use a dry mushroom, um, you might use like between a half to one ounce. And then once it rehydrates, it'll take up a lot more space. I use 10 ounces of just uh, cremini mushrooms and uh, that was fine. A lot of this stuff is going to cook down into a fairly homogenous sauce by the end of it. So you don't have to worry about it too much. 
Um, a cup of white wine. Uh, you want to err on the side of something dry, a Pinot Grigio, a Sauvignon Blanc, whatever. I used a dry Riesling that I made myself like, uh, at this point, geez, was that about four years ago? Um, just basically to save myself a, a trip to the liquor store to get a bottle of white wine. Um, and that was great. I used that same white wine, that dry Riesling, in the Asabuco as well as in the uh, the risotto uh, later on. One cup of chicken stock. And then, you know, if you have, you can use fresh tomatoes. Like, I don't want to dissuade you from, you know, using the freshest, most vibrant ingredients. But realistically, I mean, a 28-ounce can of crushed tomatoes. Um, I also used a can, uh, you know, those little tiny cans of uh, tomato paste to kind of, so that would, here's the thing. <laughs> if you just use the crushed tomatoes, that's fine. You just might want to, um, uh, simmer this uncovered for a little bit to remove some of that water content to thicken the sauce up. Probably don't need to worry about that. Um, but by adding the tomato paste, it sort of gave it a thickness that I was happy with right off the bat. So I could just cover it, throw it in the oven afterwards and be good to go. Uh, what else? We need some dried thyme and oregano, a teaspoon to a tablespoon of either of those. These are very rough measurements because this is a, a rustic sort of, you know, old world countryside farmhouse type of meal. It was kind of a pinch of this, a dash of that, yada, yada, yada. I also used uh, lemon zest, uh, the zest of two lemons, uh, a big handful of chopped parsley, and a couple of cloves of garlic. That's for the uh, gremolata that you you garnish this with at the end. You can co totally skip that part if you want. It does add a nice, bright, clean, like palate cleansing garnish, but it's certainly not necessary. All right, so that's... Um, that's for the asabuco. We'll get into how you actually prepare this, and then we'll talk about risotto afterwards. I'm not going to make this like a primer on risotto because risotto is one of those things where it's your your best your best strategy is just try to make a good risotto, something that's tasty and delicious, and serve it up and just let it be what it is. But if you start talking about how you make it, then you're gonna have people coming out of the woodwork who are way, way too into risotto. <laughs> oh, you didn't do this? You didn't, oh, you didn't, you didn't use spring water from the limestone cliffs? So it's a little, 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 little. Let's, come on, let's just make some rice here. All right, so first up, we're going to take our uh, shanks and we're going to dredge them in some flour just to get them coated a little bit. Get some olive oil into a cooking vessel. Now, I used an enameled cast iron Dutch oven, a le creuset, if you will. Um, you can use something like that. You can use stainless steel. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it helps if it's heavy and deep-sided and all that kind of stuff because this is a braise. Uh, but you can use whatever you're going to use. You could use a, you know, a corningware glass casserole dish. Not for this part you can't because you have to do some stovetop work, but eventually you can transfer it into that and cook it off in the oven. But anyway, we get the uh, olive oil hot in the pan and brown up those shanks. Get a little bit of a crust on it. You know, all the sides, you're looking at three minutes per surface or whatever, and then move those off to a plate or a bowl or something that you can stash aside for a while while you prepare everything else. 
And in the bottom of that pan, you're going to have some, you're going to have some crust. You're going to have some fond from browning your beet with the, with the uh, flour, the olive oil and all that kind of stuff. To that, we're going to add basically diced or chopped carrot, onion, and celery. And let that swizzle around there to get uh, sweated and translucent. After a little bit, we can add, add the wine, add the chicken stock and bring that up to like a lively simmer. You know, basically we want to, we're going to cook that down a little bit. Not, I mean, we're not doing like a formal reduction where you have to oh, reduce it by, you know, 27 and a half percent. No, just get it to the point where that, that, that liquid is going to uh, permeate and infiltrate all the vegetables. And you're getting sort of a homogenous, uh, not a mush, but a, a little bit of a, almost a top and hod of uh, these cooked vegetables all mixed together. And at that point, you can dump in your 28 ounces of crushed tomatoes and your uh, however many ounces of those little cans of tomato paste are. Get those in there, mix it up a little bit. Now you have essentially a red sauce, a very bland red sauce. For, uh, no, you know what? I don't want to say bland. A very bright and fresh and verdant red sauce. You have a red sauce that tastes like a bunch of vegetables mixed together, right? It doesn't really taste like a sauce yet. All right. So once you get that in there, chop up those mushrooms, or if you're using dried, you know, rehydrate those in a little bit of chicken stock or water or wine or whatever, get those in there. So get all your mushrooms in there. And at this point, you have a very chunky, voluminous sauce, right? Because you have a lot of stuff in here, big mushrooms and carrots and, and, and celery and onion and lots of tomato and all this stuff. It's just big, chunky sauce. Uh, that's going to cook. All those things are going to cook down and express all of their, uh, uh, the, the corpus of their being into the sauce <laughs> eventually. So don't worry about it. It's going to be very bright red and um, it'll, it'll smell fantastic. Season this with salt and pepper to taste, which means, you know, how much you're going to use. I don't know. Approximately a tablespoon of pepper, one and a half tablespoons salt. I don't know. Salt and pepper it. Give it a little taste. Does it taste good? Great. If it doesn't, add a little bit more. <laughs> you know, do your thing. And add your dry thyme and oregano. Get those in there. Get it mixed up a little bit. Um, this At this point, you don't want the, the heat on the stovetop to be too high because this is already going to be fairly thick because of the, uh, the the tomato paste. And if it's trying to release steam and everything, it's going to make these bubbles. It's going to shoot sauce all over the place. So just kind of keep this at a, uh, a light simmer and give it a stir with a wooden spoon or so. Be careful if you're using a, a, an enameled cast iron, you know, like a Le Creuset or a, a Staub or whatever the other brands are, Rachel Ray. Um, don't use a metal spoon because you'll scratch the coating. Use a plastic spoon or a wooden spoon. Stir that around a little bit. Keep it moving. Now, uh, at this point, you can nestle your your shank meat down into the sauce. And I was lucky because I because I was using one um, uh, beef osabuco cut shank uh, and one lamb shank. It, 
they were roughly the same size, but they both fit in there fine. If you had four beef shanks, there's no way that they would fit into a, a Dutch oven like that. You'd have to use a bigger, like a saute pan with a lid or I don't know, whatever. I didn't run into those problems, so I don't have to deal with it, but just, you know, make, make sure that everything can fit in there. It could be, it could be snug, it could be cozy, but you don't want them stacked on each other. You know what I mean? So get those in there, put a lid on that and move it into the oven, 300 degrees for, you know, like I said, you know, let's cut the difference, whether we, cause I understand 99.99% of the audience is going to be going to the grocery store and buying a cut of meat to use for this. And the other 1% is going to go out there and shoot an elk in their, in their backyard mountain or whatever. If you're shooting the elk, you know, give it an extra hour. If you're just buying meat from the grocery store, like a normal person, uh, then, uh, three hours, let's, let's give it three hours of cook time. Okay. Now that this is sort of like a, uh, not a set it and forget it, but, uh, don't mess with it. You know, like there's nothing like, what are you going to do? What are you going to discover by opening that oven and taking the lid off 37 times between now and four o'clock this afternoon? Right. So just let it go. Trust that three hours at uh, 300 degrees will be probably okay. And if you don't feel that it will be, knock it up to 325. You know, it's your oven, it's your house, it's your dinner. Do what you need to do. <laughs> All right. So in the last hour, like when it's an hour before dinner, now here's the thing too, that three hour cooking time, um, that's like the, the minimum. That's like uh, you want to get over that beyond that that line and then you have the rest of your life ahead of you so if you if, let's say you want to eat dinner at six o'clock and you have that three hour cooking time takes you up to five o'clock fantastic because you know why that pot of bubbling sauce and meat is going to stay hot for a ridiculously long amount of time beyond the point where you take it out of the oven. So at five o'clock, pull it out of the oven, leave it covered, put it on a, you know, a hot thingamajigger so you don't ruin your countertops or your stove or whatever. Let it sit there covered and then take your time. Make your risotto. Might take an hour, probably. Now with the risotto, you're using arborio rice, using some butter, some olive oil, um, chicken stock, white wine, and some Parmesan cheese at the end. All right, so you get your uh, your butter melted and sizzling in the pan. Get all your arborio rice in there. Mix it around so that your rice is completely coated. Each each grain of rice is coated with the butter, and it starts to get a little translucent. It might even start to brown a little bit. Probably not the rice browning. It's probably the butter browning. But you don't want to get too brown. But you do want to add a little bit of color. Get some translucency to the grains. Be fantastic. At this point, drizzle some olive oil over that, get it all incorporated, and then add the white wine to the rice. And here's the part where you have to be engaged until this is finished. <laughs> You're going to keep that rice moving, either through uh, like a shuffling motion with your hand or with your wooden uh spatula or spoon moving that around. Add a keep it at a simmer and keep moving it around until until the the mass of rice in that liquid doesn't it like it, it it kind of all comes together into a gritty solid where whatever you go to toss the rice again um, you get some cleavage points 
along the surface of the rice where some of the rice moves forward and some of it doesn't and you can see the pan through it. At that point, we need to add more uh, liquid to this and you have your chicken stock in a, uh, a sauce pot, a saucepan on the stove, and it's going to be at like just a barely simmer. You want your chicken stock to be hot, and you're going to ladle that, you know, one cup at a time into your rice, and then move it through. You know, keep keep tossing it, keep stirring it, keep it moving, keep it simmering. And then when that gets down to the point where it's not a homogeneous, semi-liquid, non-Newtonian solid type of uh, consistency, then you're going to ladle out another cup of hot stock and put it into the rice and you're going to keep doing that. And guess what? You're going to do that and you're going to do that and you're going to do that until all that stock is gone and your rice is creamy and smooth and delicious and al dente and perfect. And that's going to happen uh, through the use of, you know, just adding this hot chicken stock and tossing the rice around. At that point, you can kill that heat, add your Parmesan cheese, toss it around until you get a nice even consistency, and then let it rest. Let it take a break and let it sit there for a moment. And then you're going to have this uh, wonderful, smooth, decadent, velvety, porridge-like consistency, uh, basically a mattress of deliciousness that will support all those big flavors that you're going to put on top with the with the sauce and with the braised meats and with the gremolata and all that kind of stuff, okay? So whenever you go to plate this, how do you want to do it the best? You can use a plate. I use a big, wide bowl, and I lay down a nice layer of of the risotto first with a little bit of a moat, like a, like a, like a trough, uh, around the outside so that there's if you think about it, if you're looking directly straight down from overhead and you go from the outer layer you have the the rim of the bowl and then inside that you have like a mound of rice risotto going around and then you have a trough and then you have a mound of rice in the middle and that's how we're kind of compositing this into that middle mound of rice we're going to lay uh one of those shanks and we're going to put it you know standing tall and proud with its with its uh either its ulna and radius or or tibia and fibula sticking straight up into the sky right and the, and the bone will probably be um, exposed and uh, clean because of the cooking you know pulling the meat and everything away from the bone would be fantastic now listen before you get started if you want to you could you could tie uh, around the meat very tightly with some butcher's twine to keep it all together um but, you know, if you use tongs to get it out of the pan, you should be able to hold everything together to, to rest it on your rice there. And then with a spoon, get some of that sauce and kind of uh, encircle the the shank or, or whatever kind of meat you're using there to um, get like a nice little uh, uh, buffer of sauce around that. And then you want to hit it with some of that gremolata, you know. Throw a little bit of that fresh citrus and parsley and garlic right on right on top there to make it pop. Nice little contrast in color, certainly a contrast in flavor, um, and that's really that's really about it. Uh, if you have a big loaf of crusty bread like a like a Tuscan bread or olive oil bread, that'd be great too. Uh, I 
completely uh, did not, I was going to say forego, but I didn't know what the, what the past tense of forego is, forewent. I forewent the crusty bread because I was like, uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to stay awake tonight after eating, uh, you know, braised lamb shank and risotto and red wine and all this. If I throw bread in there, forget it. This podcast is not coming out, right? But yet, crusty bread, fantastic. Pair this with just a classic dry red wine, big. It doesn't have to be like big and boisterous, you know, like a, a Sauvignon uh, or a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's fine. If you like that, it's cool. I mean, I do, but I didn't. I went with a Pinot Noir kind of reserved and muted, uh, very mild, you know, not super tannic or anything like that. Just a nice uh, compliment to the rest of the dish. And let me tell you what, this is, this is among my favorite things to make. And it, and it's, what's cool about it is like, let's say your favorite food in the world is pizza. Like you could totally eat pizza every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe skip Thursday because you don't want your heart to explode Friday, Saturday, Sunday, again, pizza, 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 pizza. And you'd be like, pizza's my favorite food. I eat it every day except for Thursday. Asabuco. I would count among my top 10 favorite foods, but I eat this maybe four times a year. You know, it's like uh, you, you save it for a special occasion and it is fantastic. Let's talk about a hey, Asabuco itself. What does Asabuco mean? It's such a whimsical, fun uh, word and it rolls right off the, the tongue. It's very romantic. You know, imagine, imagine making dinner for a, a woman that you are courting or a man or whatever. And it's the first time you're having dinner at home. It's like, Oh my God, what am I going to make? Am I going to throw a Stouffer's French red pizza in the oven for 24 minutes at 350 degrees and then drench it with Frank's red hot? No, I'm going to make asabuco because it's romantic. There's an implication <laughs> I got real creepy with that there, but no, it is, it is, uh, uh, it's a, a fulfilling meal, but it is, it's, it's, it's very heavy. It's very rich and there's lots of leftovers. So there's, you really only need to make it a couple of times a year to really get an enjoyment from it. The word asabuco. Oh, that's how we got onto this. I went down some stupid tangent about, you know, making dinner for a woman that you're dating <laughs> And contrasting it with one of my other favorite foods, which is Stouffer's French bread pizza. <laughs> but what I wanted to get to was what asabuco means. Asabuco means bone with a hole. Aso for bone, you know, like an ossuary, which is a box that they put your bones in after you die. And uh, buco which I guess means whole. Well, so asapuco, you know, because you're using those, uh, those because those shank segments are cross cut. You get like this nice, uh, uh, like a like like a like a like a jawbreaker broken open. You know, with the with the bone in the middle, and then the the, the bone marrow in the middle of that, and then the meat outside of that. It's it's it's, it's really it's really quite an attractive. Uh, uh, piece of protein and 
Um, if you don't braise it in a hot, simmering, acidic liquid for several hours, um, you will lose every single one of your teeth trying to eat it. So this is like kind of one of the only ways that you can pr uh, prepare it in a way that makes it palatable. And holy cow, is it a magical result whenever you do it with love and intention and deliberation. So uh, I'm going to... You know what I think I'm going to do is because there really isn't any, um, there aren't any weird ingredients. There certainly aren't any uh, specialized pieces of equipment that you need for this, but I am going to find a link to this lemon infused olive oil that I used for every step that required. Actually, I didn't use the lemon olive oil in the risotto, but I definitely used it in the um, the preparation of the vegetables, like sauteing or, you know, browning the, the meat chunks <laughs> and then cooking the vegetables and everything for the sauce. Uh, I believe the, the, the brand of this olive oil is Leo Correas and they are local to me. I mean, yeah, 45 minute drive North. Um, that's where their, their offices are. And they, they source this from, from Greece or something and whatever. It's really good. They have several different flavors. They have like a lemon, they have a wild olive oil, which is like the most like mouth puckering, like strong tannic, fresh, you know, first press olive oil flavor that you can get. Um, but it was, it was real nice. And I think that it probably, it probably conferred a nice citrusy light, light backdrop onto what is otherwise a very heavy dish. Um, and you know, they're local. So if you happen to follow the link and buy some of that, it benefits people who are at least somewhat um, in my own milieu and that makes my world better and it makes your world better because you get to eat asabuka with really fancy olive oil. All right. That is that. Another episode in the can. I am going to guzzle a pot of coffee, edit this podcast, upload some pictures, write some captions, and get this all good to go. And I hope you enjoy it. And God, I like I want you to make this, okay? Because this is in like, okay, a couple weeks ago I made that cheesecake where, uh, yeah, I don't expect anybody to make a cheesecake the way I did. That was ridiculous. Like that was. Uh, bordering on mental illness, whereas this is something that anybody can do. And it is so good. It is really it is fantastic. But don't make it, you don't want to make it 4th of July weekend because you'll all die. It'll be like drinking motor oil. Okay. You want to make this whenever it's cold and brisk and chilly and, and, and rainy and just like, ooh, you know, because it's going to warm you from the inside out. And it's, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a hug that you can eat. And it is the best thing. Um, it's the best thing uh, I've had all day. Actually, it isn't. My wife made breakfast this morning. It was fantastic. She also made homemade strawberry ice cream this afternoon. So actually, you know what? I probably should edit this podcast and then go run on the elliptical for a couple hours. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks a lot.